Happy birthday, Daryl Hall, born today in 1946. One half of Hall & Oates from the most successful duo of all time. You heard that right, Hall and & Oates. And by the way, if you ever happen to meet them, don't call them Hall & Oates. They hate it. They are Daryl Hall and John Oates. John Oates said that Hall & Oates sounds like a lawyer's office. Um, but you, they were so ubiquitous once upon a time, were they not, Mawata Tamaira? The old Hall & Oates. I'm really shocked that we're not supposed to call them Hall and Oats because that's I thought that's just what they're, they're <laughs> well, what they were called. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I said it. They seriously do not like it. I, I didn't even but, know that was their name. Actually, I'm a bit ignorant. What did you uh, think they so, were? Who oh, did you think they were? I just I don't Toto. know. Toto, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh God, I'm not doing well today, Wallace. No, you're not. <laughs> um, and more on that very soon. Um, but uh, actually, no, you are doing fantastic. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't ignore <laughs> me. Right. But um, they uh, seriously, uh, they hate the name. And if you meet them, they'll walk out of the room. They said, oh. we, "We've never been Hall and Oates. We've always been." <laughs> Daryl Hall and John Oates. Um, but to the track, though, uh, Moata, what a dance floor anthem, eh? I mean, it, you know, it's, no. it's a solid track. I wouldn't, solid, I wouldn't say, yeah. I wouldn't say it's a floor filler like party no. anthem. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's got a solid weird vibe. Of, I, I, I could, of I could a vibe of a wedding or something. Ugh. Sort of a, w- a wedding um, dance floor type. It's, it's a wedding vibe. thing. It's yeah. A, well, okay, so here's my question to you because I have no idea and maybe the listeners could help me out on this. One thing I don't know is, is Daryl Hall the one with the moustache or without it? I've never known. I don't know either. Yeah, exactly. So uh, who's the guy with the moustache? Is it Daryl Hall or the other one? Text me 2101, the panel, RNZ National. And by the way, feedback, wonderful having a feedback. Sam Johnson, though, God, goodness me, I'm a, dis- I'm a bit disappointed to hear that your guest thinks that the loss of some tourism in New Zealand is more important than people in the sovereign state of Ukraine dying because of Russia's activities. I didn't say that. No, what I said was we've got to be careful not to cut our nose to swipe the face or whatever the saying is around making a call that that we think is going to have a big impact internationally, which will probably actually cause us greater harm at home. It's a really fine balance when we're talking about global risks and risk of war, about what are the what are the actions that we as a country we choose to take. We need to do everything we can. So, uh, it's so, what our listeners are saying. No, sure, sure. And, so, the, and the hearing from you that we don't have no, to. We, no, we should, but I would more practically would be sending more of the missile defence things that Germany has sent that is more practical. That is a more useful thing to do and oh, putting more money into it than, than, right. than stopping a hotel being built here as a, as, a, as a sort of a goodwill gesture to support the war in Ukraine. We absolutely need to do more but we should be more practical about it. How do you stop the Russians? You stop the Russians by giving them uh, the, the Ukrainians more defence artillery to, to fight a war. <laughs> Sam Johnson there and Moata Tamaira on the panel RZ National. How many times have you lost your phone, dropped it, cracked the screen, or had it stolen? If not you, what about your kids? It's pretty crazy how careless we can be with a piece of technology which has become such an essential to modern life. According to state insurance, damaged and lost phones are costing us Kiwis about $13.5 million. In fact, they are the one item we are most likely to make a contents insurance claim for. We thought, that's quite interesting. We Let's get Wayne Tippett, the Executive General Manager of Claims at State Insurance. Kia ora, Wayne. Kia ora, panel. How many insurance claims for phones do you get? Well, before we get on to that, I think it's John Oates. 
that's got the moustache, <laughs> by the way. So I've, uh, I've sorted that out. Good on your way. Alice is starting to get the big issues uh, out uh, of the way. You yeah, win the prize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what? I think you're right. Thanks. Yeah, definitely, definitely a wedding anthem as well. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. <laughs> no problem. So um, we get, uh, over the last two and a half years, about 36,000 claims for mobile devices, mobile phones. $13.5 million a year, 33 every day. 33 every day? Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, when people lodge a claim in for a lost or damaged phone, what yep. sorts of things do they say happened? Well, there's a myriad, um, it's fair to say. So the big cause is, yes, I've dropped it or I've lost it, but how did that happen? So common causes in no particular order. Fell off the roof of my car. Um, I've driven over it with my car or a tractor in uh, one occasion. Gone through the wash. Um, back pocket sitting, that tends to be reasonably uh, more common than it should be. Uh. Um, at the gym, uh, the luge in Queenstown has uh, featured in recent times. <laughs> Dropped it in the toilet, or worse, my toddler put it in the toilet. Wow. And given that white baiting season has uh, just kicked off in, in my part of the country, yes, we've already seen a loss uh, as, a, as a result of white baiting. So, yeah, v- uh, vast and varied might be a good way to yeah, describe that. Yeah, as you're rightfully saying, Myriad, I'm, I don't know about you, Moata, but I think I heard somewhere that people would rather lose their wallet than their phone. And I can sort of side with that. I can't be, I, I can't be a day or half a day without my phone. What's your thoughts on this? Oh yeah, we're all little dopamine monkeys, just like swiping away at these things, aren't we? <laughs> We're no, addicted po- to them. The point being that everything's on your phone these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Like that's how I access my my bank account. Mm. Um, keep in touch with people. It's got like got all my numbers. Numbers of people I don't even remember knowing, like sometimes it's like, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I've, I'm, I'm trying to think, I like, I have broken phones before, but I don't think yeah. I've ever claimed for one. I think I just kind of went, oh, well, that was your own stupid fault, so just go and buy a new one. Wayne, I've um, got a question for you. How, how far away are we from an insurance company giving us a free phone cover that actually saves you your reinsurance? Yeah, great, great question because it's like it's definitely one of those items that I know it saved me from time to time. Where you know, a shot case or a or a screen protector uh, can can make a little bit of damage because we all know that the fact that you don't have your phone, which is now also your wallet, actually, because yes. I, I don't carry my wallet anymore like I used to. It's all on my phone. So if yeah. I've lost my phone, I've also lost my wallet. That it's the inconvenience factor of when that happens, and and as Moata was saying, it's like actually. One of the things that you can do is make sure that you've got insurance. So if you do um, break it or lose it, you can actually get get the thing um, fixed or replaced. And and not not everyone appreciates that your contents uh, insurance will, will cover your phone. Uh, you know, should that happen to you? I didn't know that. That's a good a good tip there, Wayne. Um, is I understand there is a generational divide around this as <clears> well. Yes, we're talking about my children here. So the um, well, young men really now, 18 to 24-year-olds um, live in my house. And uh, that is the most common demographic that is likely to, um, you know, have their, fo- uh, have their phone broken or or um, lost. So if they're at your place, like they are at mine, you're probably experiencing what I have. So it's definitely a generational thing. So the older that you are, the less that you're likely to experience damage or loss. And maybe that's just a function of, 
our younger generation being tied to their device like um, like I wasn't. Yeah, uh, I don't have. I've never had a claim against my phone, but um, uh, I think that tip, Sam, about getting cover. Look at my phone there. Look at oh, this. Wow. So uh, Wallace's phone is uh, it's on the back of it. Can I describe it? Yeah, it's go a, for it. There's a, it's broken glass. There's sort of bits chipped out. There's a bit of duct tape around it, I think, there as well, Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and mine is, I uh, can tell I work in uh, sort of disasters and risk reduction. I mean, it's the most heavy-duty phone cover possible. Give me a look at that. Life-proof. So, give, give, that's <laughs> unreal. Where, where, where did you get this uh, from? Just, just one of those drops. But it is like it, it is drop-proof because I'm a bit clumsy. Wow. So and I, Your phones are they're valuable. It's good to look after things. I'm going to get you on Wallace, and then you'll be sorted. Duct tape, check that out. <laughs> I'm definitely a convert to those um, screen protectors that that break instead yes. of the actual screen, because they only cost about I don't know six, seven dollars, something like that. And yeah. then you know when you drop your phone, you're not actually having to replace the screen, which That's I have the way had we do to it. do a few times. Yeah. Hey, good on you, Wayne. Thanks for being with us. No problem at all. Uh, that's Wayne Tippett, uh, the um, claims manager at State Insurance there. Yes, got to find myself a cover for sure. Anyway, 17 to 5, the panel, RNZ National. More of a thought piece, this one, but I thought, well, it's a great topic for us. How to argue in a free and open society. I think, Sam, you've brought this up on your... I've been thinking last time that you were on the programme. After all, it is a show called The Panel where they're our opinions, and there's not always universal agreement on issues, a bit like life, I guess. And many of us have raised in this modern age, how do we now argue in an open and free society? Uh, so happened, a great article has been written about this newsroom just uh, very recently that says we don't have to like or agree with one another's ideas or beliefs, but the challenge is to tolerate one another, along with seven rules to argue against those you disagree with. We might come to some of those rules a bit later on. For now, though, we have Dr. David Brommel, Senior Associate at the Institute for Governance and Policy Studies at Te Heringawaka, Victoria University. Dr. Brommel, kia ora. Hi, Wallace. Hello, panel. Really interesting article, uh, David, and you asked that question. Well, what can we reasonably expect of one another in free and open societies where people want and value different things? Is that a question that, David, many of us these days are grappling with? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's such a, a push to have everybody feel and think the same way. And my argument is that in a free and open society, that's unrealistic. Um, what we actually need to do is tolerate one another. And, of course, we don't tolerate what we like in one another. We tolerate what we dislike and disagree with in one another. So what I'm looking for is the kind of politics that uh, engages in the contest but disagrees agreeably uh, without the nastiness and the shouting and the name-calling. But some will say, because, some will say good, because there are some in society that shouldn't be tolerated, um, who you cannot talk to, you won't want to talk to, and also, David, why the hell should I? (laughs) Yeah, true. Um, And that's all well and good until somebody decides that uh, the government or 
social institutions uh, should be defining uh, what is unsayable and what we should listen to and not listen to. Yeah, it's very interesting. I know that you'll have a views on this, Sam Moata. Let's bring you in. How do you see this uh, issue? Well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm online a lot um, for work, but also, you know, that's that's just where I live a lot of the time. Um, and you know, I like to think that I try and conduct myself like an adult, uh, but you know, I do fail sometimes um, because. <laughs> There's a lot of really bad stuff out there. So, um, yeah, I agree that we should um, try and see the humanity in other people when we're interacting with them. Um, but also the right to not argue, the right to just actually, this person is terrible um, and I don't have to, you know, let them espouse their hateful nonsense at me and just block them. Um, I block often um, and without any regret at all. Um, but but I, I kind of feel like, David, that there's there's a proposition that you're putting forward that I don't quite understand the source of, that, that we are... I mean, just the idea that we all want everybody to think the same, I'm not sure where that's coming from. Also, this idea that we want the government to regulate or legislate this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure where you're coming at. David? Um, coming from with that. Oh, yeah, what I uh, very much had in mind was um, the uh, the government's pondering of uh, what to do about uh, so-called hate speech uh, in the wake of the Royal Commission of Inquiry into the um, terrorist attack on Christchurch mosques uh, and the Christchurch call and the increasing concern being expressed by uh, people in public roles about misinformation. Right. Um, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Wallace. And David, I thought it was an excellent article, and I really encourage people to jump on Newsroom and have a read of it. If you And I read it pre the panel today, and it actually it did sort of sharpen the pencil a wee bit on some opinions, because I think, and I really believe this, in that model of citizen assembly, of having good constructive dialogue, um, mainly from the point of view of if you put out an opinion, you get an opinion back. And then that, I think, David, you'd know the research, that actually evolves both people's opinions. Is that is that right? Yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, what I look for is a, a public deliberation that actually changes minds through an exchange of reasons. And uh, the trick in this is to keep people with different competing and conflicting interests at the table long enough right. to reach practicable agreement on what is to be done. Um, and that requires certain uh, rules of discourse, uh, rules of engagement. Um, and uh, that's what I outlined. I, I put up seven of them in that uh, little piece in newsroom. Yeah, the, uh, the the rules of engagement are quite interesting. Let's shall we, uh, shall we, uh, a couple of ones here. No guarantees. You may lose this round and have to concede you are wrong. Uh, in a democracy, no one is infallible or wins all the time. Um, but here's one here. Uh, and please excuse the, I'm just quoting here. Number four is no bullshitting. Do not misrepresent facts or data. Withhold relevant information or smokescreen the intent and implications of the claim you defend, David. So 
uh, stick to the facts. Yep. Um, and, and be honest, be be transparent. Could, David, could yeah, you explain yeah, number what three? What you're claiming and why. Okay. Just going to ask David if you could explain number three, no trumps. So speci- specialist professional expertise may be relevant when making or assessing a claim, but you may not appeal to a personal authority. Yes. Um, or, or a privileged role for your identity, social group, or lived experience. Right. Um, yeah, because really our societies have come a long way from thinking that uh, kings or popes uh, are ultimate definers of truth. Um, and specialist professional expertise may well be relevant um, in, in relation to technical claims, but that's different from appealing to personal authority and, and essentially saying, uh, you've got to think this because I say so. Uh, All right, yeah, because I say so. Hey, uh, David, kia ora. Thank you very much for being with us here on the panel. Uh, Dr. David Bromwell there, Senior Associate uh, at the Institute for Governance and Policy Studies. That's pieces on Newsroom. And uh, look, you may uh, strongly disagree with that and you may agree with it. And uh, all signs are welcome on that. Text me 2101. It's 9 to 5, the panel, RNZ National. We have Moata Tamaira and Sam Johnson with me uh, today, well, earlier in the program, we talked about a world first in getting farmers to start paying for their emissions. In Rotorua today, there was another environmental first, the country's first zero emissions bus and designed and built entirely in Aotearoa, tailored specifically to handle our roading conditions. Took its first passengers for a trial ride at the Bus and Coach Association conference. The E-City is the first fully electric bus, not the only battery-powered one, but it's got solar panels on the roof. And it's been developed by Zemtech, Zero Emissions Technologies in Tamaki Makaurau. With us is John Bays. He's the Zemtech chief executive, also head of Bays Coach Lines. John, welcome. Thank you. What what really got me going was this, was it's pretty high-tech, but, hey, built right here in Aotearoa. Good news. Yeah, pretty exciting times. And apparently it outperforms the ones that come from overseas. Yeah, I think the big advantage of that is, like you say, the solar panels and um, and the light. It's, it's third lighter than any of our competition. How do you manage that? How do they manage that? I think the big thing is, if you can remember a conventional diesel bus, um, they have a lot of construction in the back of them to hold a, a one-and-a-half-ton diesel engine and transmission, where a lot of the other manufacturers are leaving all that technology in there, pull the motor out, put batteries in, uh. and you have an electric bus. So we actually remove all that strength to hold that um, cantilevered engine and build a purpose-built electric bus. Hence why we can uh, pull considerable weight out of it. Wow, and I understand too because with no motor, you've got that nice flat level going all along to the end of the uh, the last seats there, John. Correct, yeah, no, that is fantastic. So um, where your conventional bus has your priority area for your elderly or, or mums and kids and so on in that first third of the bus, the, basically the whole bus now becomes a priority area. You can sit anywhere you like, oh. it's um, mm. just so simple. Uh, Moata, I can't, uh, trying to see a downside to this, can't see the downside on this one, Moata. I'm just going to ask the stupid question. So what about when it's really cloudy and, and it's the wintertime and the weather's terrible? 
So you, we still have the 700-volt um, high-voltage batteries. Um, so the solar panels run the 24-volt side, and you're right. When there is no solar, so middle of the night, it's doing a night service, you, you will run off the main voltage. Um, so you will lose a few percentage of, um, of kilometres for that night. I think that's, the uh, that's thing, uh, the, Keep going, John. So the good thing, I think, with the solar panels, to buy the solar panel system and to buy the lithium-ion batteries, per kilowatt, they are the same price. But all your charging from your solar panels is all free. John, so, so you that, don't that plug these the in at all? These are free. You know, you do. So you've still got to charge your high voltage. So all your driving yeah. is off high voltage. So you've got to plug in and charge that side. It's just all the other conventional side of the bus um, typically comes free. That's brilliant. I think congratulations on, on getting this out there. I mean, the, the more we can do to get electric cars as an EV uh, driver, the more we can do to build the confidence and the range, get rid of range anxiety and get it going, it's excellent. You're, so well an, done. you're, you're an EV driver yourself? Yep. One's sponsored by Hyundai and one is uh, owned myself, and it is excellent, and I am a strong convert, despite what I said earlier about methane. Um, everyone needs an electric car. If you can't afford one, I think you actually have a social What's responsibility so good about to buy it? one. What's so good about it? Oh, I just I love it. You just never go to a petrol station again. And it helps it's amazing. I, I haven't, um, yeah, I haven't been particularly high on electric vehicles, but to build one and now actually drive it, they are phenomenal. Beautiful, smooth power, um, incredibly quiet, comfortable. Yeah, it's quite a different feeling. You actually need to go out and drive one. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to because I'm a bit, bit, bit of a bus user myself there, John, and I'm seeing this, this is up to 30, 30% more energy efficient. I'm actually quite um, really, I mean, I mean the, 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 the big news for me is this, these are built here. You know, this is local tech, um, a, a local staff. It's a, a bit of a success story, perhaps. Uh, is there possibilities of ramping this up over the next couple of years? Yeah, it's going to take us a few years to ramp up, but yeah, right. we're hoping to build about 300 a year. Wow! Wow! Um, Gosh! And, and so we're we um, working with Kiwi bus builders in Tauranga who currently build bus bodies now. They have a great reputation, a great staff, and um, so they will do the assembly for us. Hmm. Um, just be, to be sure, John, you're not the first EV buses, are you? Someone says, "What's the big deal?" Wellington has had EV buses for years, so not the first, but uh, these are built here. Correct. So there's a couple of um, global bus ventures in. Christchurch. They also build some here. Uh, they've built a hydrogen bus and a small bus. Um, we've slotted in the middle and built a, um, a large full electric vehicle. Good on you, John. Yeah, all all yeah. the other product is all coming in from China. Okay, very good. John Bays there, the Zemtech Chief Executive and uh, Head of Bays Coastal. Here's a question for you on buses, uh, Moata. So, um, something happened to me. It's been happening to me uh, for the last uh, couple of rides. Um, I, get on a, I get on a full bus, right? Okay. Yep, I get on a full bus. Um, everyone starts going, but the person right next to me, uh, he's a guy, he stays where he is until the last stop, and it was just the two of us on the bus. Cozy. Yeah, it was really cozy, and he didn't, he didn't move to another seat. Oh, no. <laughs> so am I just being weird and thinking that's an issue? So, oh, so, or, so there were plenty of empty seats and then he came and specifically sat next to you? No, that, the no? bus was full at the start, but at the end it was empty but for two of us, but he didn't go to another empty seat. Yeah, but if he'd moved, would you be then like, oh, what's wrong with me? Do I smell or something? No, because there's no one else on the bus. 
Sam, there's no one else on the bus. No, I think you, you, that's... Um, what do you do? That's an awkward social situation. Do you move? Do you, do, should they move? What would happen? No, I would probably move. I would expect them to move too, and I'd maybe... You see? I offer them... Would, would you like that seat over there? Or no problem, I can move. There would were like 60 space? other empty seats. Oh, it's just painful, isn't <laughs> it? Anyway, Moata, Sam, kia ora to you both. Thanks for being with us. I'm Wallace Chapman. I'm back tomorrow. Here's a little bit of Daryl Hall and John Oates.